everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers sit around drinking tasty beverages to talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that may not agree but are lovingly delivered. We will not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your tour guides today are John Schmidt and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 193, interview with Shauna McGinnis. Welcome, Shauna. Hello. I feel, will I be disqualified? I'm drinking Diet Pepsi. Um, you know, tasty beverages in general is a wide variety that could be wine. It could be water. It okay. Be, okay, good. Know, the blood of your enemy. start then. Yes. <laughs> so we, we do not censor ourselves in what we drink any more than we have. There's no requirement to drink anything save for a liquid that you like. Excellent. As it happens, um, Sean and I met in person for the very first time outside of, brace yourself, John, the bean scene. No. That famous purveyor of coffee. The best in Sunnyvale. The genesis of this entire podcast started from sitting around the bean scene and thinking, my God, we're hilarious. We should record something. (laughs) Thank goodness. We'll have another thing to thank Kenny for. Thank you, Kenny. It's all about Kenny. We love you, Kenny. Now, you, uh, just here to chat about you. I've been out. I've toured your sites, etc. You're kind of an amazing person of how you came to writing. You started in the theater arts, writing plays and musicals for kids. Yes, that's right. Um, So I have a degree in theater and um, worked at a community center for the city of San Jose, And um, whenever it was time for a new show, they would ask us to come up with an adaptation. And usually what that consisted consisted of was sitting and watching either a a Disney video or The Wizard of Oz or what have you and pausing and writing and pausing and writing. And I did not like that because we know what that's called. Yeah. And so as time went on. GPT only with a person. Absolutely. Yeah, we were ahead of ourselves. And so once I left that department and went out on my own with my own little theater company, I started doing my own adaptations of fairy tales or stories and began doing it on my own and had a lot of success with it. And one of my um, biggest, most qualities that I'm most proud of is that I'm able to give speaking lines to every child who's in a show. So if there's a cast oh of 100, God. yes. <laughs> and keep the shows under an hour and a half. So oh this my, is my God. Little, yeah, that's my little trick that I'm able to do. And so I kind of honed that and um, wrote a bunch of plays and produced them. And then um, pretty soon it was other people producing them. And I learned that I really, really love doing that. I I almost frightened to let you know have or ask, and because John's here, I have to. Have you ever read uh, Ursula Vernon's House? Is it or is it T Kingfisher? Ursula Vernon writing as T Kingfisher, A House with Good Bones. I was actually going to say the Halcyon Fairy Book. No, I now I'm hearing about this author. I I think I need to do a whole big little shopping spree. In particular. Because you mentioned fairy tales, this is, imagine if you were sitting there with a book of Grimm's or Hans Christian Andersen fairy Mm -hmm. tales and a great big glass of something alcoholic and annotating it. And that's what she does. 
Oh, that sounds wonderful. And I'm almost saying that, you know, we need somebody to retell some of these only with a little bit of a drunken narrator over in the corner. (laughs) Or, or, Or retell them in a way that every child gets a line. That's yeah into the fairy tale is an amazing amazing because uh, ursula vernon brings in i like to think of it as sensible mothers to these fairy tales it's uh-huh. not all uh orphan princesses it, it is it, there are wise women in them anyway oh, that's wonderful. beautiful commentary like wait you said i couldn't touch the grass i didn't touch the grass i touched the rosemary that's not fair <laughs> Very clever. Yeah. So I try to put little spins on my stories as well. So my Cinderella didn't run off with the prince. She said, I'm only 16. I'm not ready to get married yet. I have a whole life ahead of me. You know, we like to put a little bit more of a sensible spin on our stories too. That's very fair. Yeah. Did you go from plays to the short stories? For instance, I I saw that you were in a set of tweet length stories of conversations and it made me giggle wildly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, some of those are a little wild. Um, No, actually, I had been writing plays for a long time and I had a back surgery, which um, caused me to have to be home for a while and um, out of the theater. And so I began to write my first novel, which was Frankie in Paris. And I started writing it as an autobiographical piece and then read all of these things about how, you know, unless you're famous or have some wild story, then your autobiography is just not going to do so well. So I gave the me character telekinesis and changed a few things and it became a work of fiction. And I had so much fun writing it. To me, it was like directing a play or playing with Barbie dolls. Well, that's um, beautiful. I mean, some people, you know, write murders in. I find that spices up an autobiography a lot. <laughs> yeah, I can see where that would be. This one, um, you know, it's a trip with a 20-year-old through Paris with her grandmother. And all of the wacky things the grandmother does very true. My grandmother did those things, but the moving stuff with my mind, you know, not so much, <laughs> although it was a lot of fun to write and to, to switch the story up a bit. So that started, yeah, got me out of my theater writing and into more of a novelist, but it took a really long time to write and rewrite. And it took me about two years to get through that piece. Well, the one you pressed into my hands is the recent book you have out called Necromancer's Garden. And I liked it. I love that the main character is a nice female necromancer. Uh, I had a question now that it's over, and I don't think this gives anything away. Sure. When you came up with the title, did you? is the title involved the garden? Is it based on the floral names of the women or something else? Well, it is. It's based on the floral names of the women, but also of the garden itself of the Opus Dei flowers nice. Um, nice. that grow in the, the colony or the people's land um, where she lives. So it was kind of a multi-layered title. Always the best if it means more. Than- so yes, the answer is these things and more. This book had some interesting punch to it. I First of all, Raising the Dead is always good. But you deal with something that I haven't seen that often in, you know, YA fiction before, 
And the concept is dealing with some of the extremely religious enclaves and two cousins, one on the inside, one on the outside, riding to each other. And I thought, wow, that is isolated community. This could speak to a lot of people in the world. Yes. So um, I, I wanted to find the, the idea that came to me first was not the religious aspect, but the aspect of having two cousins um, very removed from one another. And I kind of went through a different a list of different things that could cause that. But at the moment, I had had kind of an obsession with the Amish. And I'd been reading a lot about the Amish. And um, so the idea of having a community removed from, you know, what we think of as normal would be kind of cool. And so then I, I pushed in and then I started thinking about religious symbolism. And at the time we weren't going through a lot of the stuff we're going through right now, but, but it was still pretty bad in 2014 with religion in the world. And so then I started thinking about, you know, how could we incorporate being um, shunned for not being, for being something other than what is expected by a community like that. I loved that. Yes, she was a necromancer. And the minute people realize that it's the shunning is interesting. It's when, when you think about it, being not of the community while still in the community is one of the most powerful punishments, you know, even more than some of the more physical things that you hint at, but don't, you know, graphically show us. Right. Yeah. The idea of living with your family, but not interacting with them and being so completely isolated, even while living on your family's land was something that I really wanted to explore. It almost made me think of other possibilities of writing. I mean, I have read The Speed of Dark by Elizabeth Moon, which was the first book that I really read about somebody that was deeply, deeply autistic. So it was an autistic point of view. And it really shook up the concept of the male gaze being, you know, white, heterosexual, physically capable, and all of these things like, wait, what if all of that is not taken for granted? Right. right. Um, well, yeah, I um, had been paying attention a lot to how LGBT youth are treated, especially um, a lot of the time in a religious sort of a situation. And, you know, is something that is near and dear to my heart. So the idea of not being able to be yourself, even among your family, um, was something that I was able to sort of adhere to the character as well. Although um, she, as far as I know, is an LGBT. She was, you know, she's removed, even though she's right under her her father's gaze and, and the gaze of her family. Well, it does cover a lot of the YA categories out there. I mean, it has friendship. It touches on sexuality, but peripherally, it's not central. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't delve too deeply into drugs or alcohol and identity, but it's, well, sexual, but it does have an identity at a very profound of like, what are you? What do you agree with? What do you feel is good, is right, is true? and how the world, how you should interact with the world. So I, I very, very solidly YA in terms of the category that way. And you don't, I mean, you have a, a point where the main characters, I'm again, not giving away too much of a plot, but she has some almost lemony snicket being forced to marry somebody unpleasant. 
Mm -hmm. And you avoid going too far down that. And I thought that was very deftly done. Thank you. I, I wanted to point out that the main character's name or one of them is Rose of Sharon. And I had picked that name um, after the character from Grapes of Wrath. And one of the reasons was because of some of my favorite Grapes of Wrath, Steinbeck quotes, um, and one of them I'm reading right now, I do not have it memorized, but there ain't no sin and there ain't no virtue. There's just stuff people do. Yeah. 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 And the screaming fact that no sounds that sounds throughout all history, repression works only to strengthen and knit the repressed. So I'd taken a lot of, a lot of Steinbeck on top of the biblical stuff to give my, my character some kind of a, a personality, if you will. I liked it. I also liked that there are treats in your book for people that read a lot. For instance, oh, the two girls that are talking to each other, the first one sort of is on the outside in a land where women can read anything. And she is a young girl and she still uses obscure literary book quotes, concepts, and ideas. And as a precocious kid who read things way too young, according to some people, I liked that. I liked that, you know, that's the, are you like me? And the other girl who gets those references. Yes, clearly we're reading the same books. How cool is that? I can speak to you in code. And who doesn't have a code? John, surely you and your brothers had a code when you were growing up or a language or an alphabet. Brothers don't react that way. It's usually more how you hit each other and leaving the family. So, <laughs> but uh, going back to the, the basis of YA themes, it's how you identify your secret friends. Uh, so less brothers, but more, and it, the world has changed. You, you're more likely to find an internet discord server these days but you know when someone gets oh yeah hey that's a monty python reference to life of brian and the holy grail they must be in the sca or a larp or when someone starts putting in steinbeck oh if you're if you're using a steinbeck quote you're saying you're either a local to salinas and monterey or that you've read interesting book spaces there Right. Yeah. And I, I wanted to use very much wanted to use the quotes um, throughout, even though the girls use a, a Bible that's carved out to pass um, equipment back and forth without giving away too much. I wanted to not have it be just biblical. This wasn't meant to be a religious book at all. That was just meant to be part of it. You know, the vehicle. Um, it's a setting. It's it's right. Yeah. And for it's keeping a very the girls apart and for um, and, and an excuse for them to come together as well. Yeah. So then then we go on and it becomes music and um, more modern literature and these things that they're able to bond over um, like many young people do. It gives you the use of religion, which is not found often in modern books due to a distaste, gives you a historical richness or a richness based in history. It, you, you do not deny the other aspects of culture. You have religion, you have literature, you have that they're, they're not, the, the view of them is not quite so limited. 
There are challenges enough in this world. I had a friend who was Roman Catholic who married a very lovely Jewish person. And the parents get over it in their own special ways. But it's this melding. It happens everywhere. And it happens all of the time. It's harder to teach a kid in the military that the world wants to get at you and Maybe his best buddy is a video gamer who goes on raids in him in World of Warcraft from South Korea. So we don't automatically assume things are wrong or bad because the kids are being brought up in a different, more global world. Right. I have a question. Yes. I am sorry. Um, It's a really good book, but I want to know you have so many good things. What are you working on now? What have you just done? Well, I just finished book three in a series, so I can officially call it a series, which is something I've been working towards. And in the first book, what we find is a small town stripper who finds out that she is an enchanted trapeze artist, and she basically runs away with the enchanted carnival. And, um, so that was the, the first, the first book we got to know our character. Her name is Lizzie Borden and the book was the Axis daughter. That's and fantastic. Then- is it, is it related to the historical story? It is not. The mother was named the axe because she flew through the air with the um, greatest of ease, like an axe. And so Lizzie is the axe's daughter and her mother named her tongue in cheek, named her Lizzie Borden. Uh-huh. Um, And so the second book is set in Santa Cruz, California, where they um, discover another of their kind and their people out to kill her and hilarity and adventure ensue. And then the third book, which has just come out now, is set in Ashland, Oregon. And I invented a small little bigoted town on the outskirts of Talent, Oregon. You mean Phoenix? (laughs) <laughs> sorry I'm, my I'm, mom lived up there for a while <laughs> oh no I my my little town is named Lore okay. and um they don't like enchanted trapeze people or enchanted people of any kind so um that is where book three leaves us is with a the enchanted carnival performing tanda in tandem with the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and being hunted by people who hate them. So um, I must know, though, is this in the way of Chekhov's gun, does an X figure somehow in each book? Well, it does, but not in the way you might think. Excellent. That's all I needed to know. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your method? I was happened to be watching Neil Gaiman say that he used to write it all on computer. Now he's gone backwards into notebooks. How do you sit down and start putting these things together? So I'm a huge pantser. I, I've mentioned we're not using pantser. We're using organic planter. (laughs) I am an organic planter. No, no, that's it. Yeah. We can't (laughs) say pantser. We have a British member. Oh, oh, okay. So I write organically um, because of my theater background. I see everything in terms of um, sort of an improv, a session of improv. And the characters usually take off without me. Um, The story runs off without me and my fingers are just barely able to keep up. Um, So what happens then is that I 
can't keep up and have to do a Google spreadsheet just to keep track of the people that have created themselves and the towns that have created themselves and all of the little, especially when you're talking about um, words you've made up and spells and incantations and um, magical things. It's very difficult for me to keep track once they've zoomed past me. So I usually write organically and then um, sit down at the end of a session and take notes about what has transpired. I think that's fair. I like the idea of having to to plot it all out rather than, I mean, eventually somebody, one of your many fans can make a wiki of it all, right? Well, that's the plan. I'm hoping. That's beautiful. It's, I, <laughs> I don't know how many of us can safely, you know, hope that we will one day have a fan base that will do that, but I admire the idea. Right. I admire the idea as well. Um, and I, I would, I would just, I just giggle to think of all the things that they would find that I've, I've missed. So you have seven books out so far. I mean, prolifically wise, I, I'm deeply impressed. Go you. Thank you. Yes. Do you feel more drawn to the, the, the YA? Or are you thinking you're going to branch into adult horror and creeping doom? Or You know, I, I didn't even really realize I was writing YA until I was deep into it. Um, I think that that is what I like to read. So that's what I was writing. Even my horror novel, The Klein Girls, I I assumed that it was so gritty and horrifying that people would scream and turn away. But no, the kids love it. Um, well, kids like squicky things. I oh, mean, I think absolutely. Lemony Snicket taught us that when here's the first first two pages of a book is a somberly man walking out onto a beach to tell a bunch of kids that their parents are dead. And, and it just it, gets worse from there. It just gets worse. And it's so wonderfully worse. I l- just love that series. Um, did. That, well, that series caused my niece who had sequencing disorders when she was trying to learn to read. She fought through them to find out what happened next. And my, my nephew was addicted to these spooky tales and, I think they still like twisted tales. So kids are darker than adults think. Oh, absolutely. And I should have known better because my um, foray into the dark literature, dark literature um, began very young. I read Flowers in the Attic when I was 10. Oh, yes. The Omen when I was 10. And it just went on from there. Um, anything King wrote, I was on top of it um, before middle school. And so the Klein Girls is an homage to Flowers in the Attic and Carrie by Stephen King. And um, I should have known better. I should have known that the YA crowd would love this book because it is literally taken from the seeds of Flowers in the Attic. So um, yes, you are right. We should not underestimate the young people when it comes to reading the icky stuff. Yeah, I always think of kids don't really like happy little fluffy bunny much past the age of five. Although yeah. Watership Down was a little dark, right? <laughs> but it was life. It this this whole kawaii desire isn't a adult desire pressed on kids. It's a marketing scam. It's a marketing scam. It's a kids want to be kids. kids. No. 
I spent my whole life wanting to be adult and eat cake for breakfast if I felt like it and stay up late. You know what? I love napping, but I also love the right to stay up late and eat cake for breakfast. Right. Yeah. And you know what? Eating cake for breakfast every day is not great after all. Come to find out, you know, we can do it, but do we want to? Well, that's different. And I think when we live (laughs) in a world that as soon as the universe develops causality and we start living with the consequences of our own actions, we start making better choices. So it's important to make some of those bad choices. As we see in literature, for sure, right? Exactly. And that's, that's how we learn. That's how, and hopefully we learn some lessons through the characters so that we don't make those mistakes ourselves. Oh, there's an ice dream for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What am I talking about? I am talking out of my butt right now, aren't I? Crazy talk, crazy talk. So are, are you going to go uh, as the adult in a book sometime and say, now that you are a woman who's been here, done that, and the other thing, are we going to see some adults traveling the world with special powers or? Well, um, this Axe's Daughter series that I mentioned is about adults. So um, it, it's all adults, actually. Um, and it is a little spicy at times. So there are some adult themes, but all of the characters are adults. Um, they all have powers of some sort. Um, and it's actually the whole concept is that there's a special glow. It's an orange light. And let's say the light came on you. You might not look like genie under the orange light. You might have tentacles or some certain kind of power. (laughs) God, if only I could have tentacles. You just did one of her dreams. Maybe you do. And there's just no orange glow yet. I need the glow. Yeah, you need the glow. I might need a t-shirt that says, give me the glow. Give me the glow. I I would just love to see what I would would look like. So we've got a team of little people, little men, and under the glow, they're over seven feet tall. So their character in the carnival is seven feet tall. And there's the romantic interest is a lion under the glow. He just looks like a, a hot man him outside of the glow but underneath he is a feline so um it is it is an an adult themed series um and most of my books are i thought for adults but they tend to also be for the young adults as well well it's the themes i think it's ya isn't really a genre it's more of a motivations, inner thoughts, what are my priorities, voyages of self-discovery. So there's a lot of that that I think can fall under the YA of the world. I think somebody went back and reclassified Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys to middle grade readers, which is fair. Yes, absolutely fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been really fun. And we're going to put links to the fascinating things we discussed during this episode on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. I want to say to everybody, Shauna lives in Sunnyvale and has been known to hang out at the bean scene. So I'm just saying you should hang out at the bean scene and meet fabulous, exciting authors. Right? Oh, absolutely. I'll see you there. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web magic is cast by Deirdre Schreen, and our sound engineers and backup web spiders are David Welsh and John Schmidt. 
Our intro and exit music are both by Michael Ingberg. And our podcast sponsors are Jackal Designs, The Bean Scene in Sunnyvale, The Arm Street in Ukraine, and homage to wherever you get your favorite beverage. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>